What's up, Gator Nation? Welcome into the week six episode of the We Are The Boys podcast. First and foremost, before we get started, um, recognition and acknowledgement of the, uh, the tragedy that occurred in Las Vegas. Um, as empty as this may sound and as cliched as it's become, thoughts and prayers with uh, all the victims and their families and anyone affected by it. Um, truly a, a disgusting display of, of the worst of humanity in terms of the sheer volume of the violence and and just you know a sick person you know senselessly targeting a a group of people who are just coming together to have a good time um and as if if that wasn't enough on the same day uh a loss that rings true especially to uh you know anyone who's a florida gator anyone with any sort of ties to gainesville um and honestly music in general in terms of how big tom petty became the loss of Tom Petty, um, Gainesville's kind of original and probably still most famous son. Um, as as you guys know, American Girl is the the opening and closing track of this podcast for a reason. Um, so you know, an acknowledgement of his music, the the life he lived, and kind of you know paved his own way, put Gainesville on the map, and was uh, an incredible musician that you know. I think everybody enjoyed, but particularly if you had ties to to University of Florida or to Gainesville, you felt a little a little bit of extra pride for that affiliation. So, um, right across the street from my apartment on Thirty Fourth Street, there's already a Tom Petty memorial painted on the the memorial bridge. So, um, it was a sad day in the world yesterday, and uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna press on and after that acknowledgement and talk about football and get back to enjoying life. Yeah, that's all you can do, really. You know. Yep. Move on. Uh, exactly. So um, with that, let's get into the game. So first things first, we're going to talk the Vandy game. Um, Gators get a big win. Uh, you know, what was it, yeah. 38-21 was that the final? 38-24. 38-24, yeah. They were, yeah. Um, so a two-possession win. Um, obviously, that, that stat line and, and that uh, <laughs> that spread, if you will, is, is covered by the uh, – the the late touchdown run there by Malik Davis, which uh, apparently Coach McElwain didn't want, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but you know, however you slice it, the Gators get a get a two possession win, um, which at least the final yep. the final result looks like you know a, a solid performance. It's the most we've beaten Vandy by in a little bit, I would say. Um, you know, it's better than last year where it came down to the last play. Um, and, uh, yeah, and as we'll discuss, it's it's a game where there's obviously still a lot to to clean up and a lot to fix on both sides of the ball. But we've also seen some things improve that were concerns at the start of the year. So um, hopefully there's hopefully there's more positives than negatives. But we'll we'll get into it. Yeah, and I mean Vandy's not, you know, they're not the scrub that they used to be either. I mean Mason's got a veteran team playing well. Like yes, they got spanked by. Bama 59 to nothing, but the week before they did beat a ranked Kansas State team. So, um, you know, it's, it's not like they were scrubs by any stretch of the imagination. And they came out and played really well and threw the ball on us. Yep. So, um, you gotta, if there's one thing we can say about this team, you know, we can point at the lack of offensive production and things like that. But, you know, they know how to win tight games and they don't give up, which, you know, I don't think maybe we could say the same for the teams that were under Will Muschamp, it seemed, you know, if we ever got down or the game was close that we weren't really coming back to win those. Yeah. It seems um, you got to, got to like that resilience from, from, from the, especially from a young team too, you know, definitely. It seems like um, this team, you get the feeling that in those, those tight games, those games that make you uncomfortable, they're going to find a way to win. Whereas maybe in the past under, under the previous staff, it felt like uh, we're going to find a way to lose. Um, Yeah. So, you know, You'd like to see some more wins come in dominant fashion, but um, I think, again, we kind of talked about this last week where you sort of have to make an honest assessment of the roster and where it's at, and even though it might not be where you'd like it to be, you have to judge it based on what it is and not what you wish it was. Um, And with, you know, a lot of a lot of our key playmakers being true freshmen or redshirt freshmen, um, some some Mm -hmm. of the losses, the depth issues that we've had because of both suspensions and injuries – um, I think it, Gator Nation has to kind of be happy this point with 
with wins however we can get them um and hope and hope yeah. that along the way we see improvement in key areas so um we'll dive right into it with my thoughts on the game uh i was there in the stands um my my kind of initial reaction is that yeah, rough rough first half yeah <laughs> based yeah on rough first me. half i mean you know kind of shaking my head as i'm as i'm headed to the concession stands going man we're tied with vandy you know at halftime it's kind of more of the same from years past um but you know, then a stronger performance in the second half, even despite losing Luke Del Rio, um, the offense kind of found some rhythm and obviously was paced greatly by the running game. Um, and maybe that's why my, kind of my gut reaction is, you know, thirty-eight points. If you had told me thirty-eight points with this Gator team, you'd kind of be excited and and expect a, a performance that was somewhat memorable. But um, my feeling on it is one of the more boring 38 point performances that I can remember, but perhaps it is because we lean so heavily on the run game. And, you know, as much as I love a great yeah. running attack, maybe there is something that's inherently a little less exciting about it than hitting a deep ball. It's the, the drives to score are a little more methodical. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, not that that's bad. I mean, yeah, I mean, especially that's good P- football. Yeah. I mean, P Ryan's stat line, you know, if you look at it, it's not, it doesn't jump out at you. Um, you know, it was definitely a ground-and-pound attack from him. You know, 15 carries for a net of 58 yards. So, you know, he's only averaging around 3.9 yards a carry there. So it's not like we were breaking off these long, exciting runs, at least from, from P. Ryan's standpoint. Uh, Davis, you know, obviously has yep. a little more yeah, lightning and, to him. Um, the other positives to point to in terms of, you know, offensive production is that, um, you know, an improved performance from the line um, – the fact that we were able to put up 38 points mm-hmm. despite forcing no turnovers defensively, you know, I think normally if you say 38 points, you're, you're thinking, Oh, well, we probably got at least a pick six or the defense at least gave us a short field, but that was 38 harder points by the offense. Um, and then, yeah, you know, even though it might be the slightly less exciting way to get production and to score points, you do have to be excited about um, the rushing game. I mean, five rushing TDs, if I'm not mistaken, three for Piran, two for Davis. Um, yep. And, you know, yep. another great thing was McIlwain rolled the dice a lot and let this team go forward on fourth down and, and prove that they could get one to two yards in crunch time and, you know, make, you know, big plays to keep a drive alive or towards the end of the game kind of make big plays to, to put the game away and, and not put the ball back in Vanderbilt's hands. Um, you know, obviously the highlight being that, that Malik yeah. Davis fourth down run that he ends up taking to the house. Um, so, so good and bad all around. I mean, yeah. um, the bad would kind of be, you know, all right, we lose Luke Del Rio. The, the pass blocking in the first half wasn't great. He's hurried a lot and maybe that's the reason why he ends up injured, but, mm-hmm. um, right. I mean, he took a, took a nasty, I mean, it wasn't a real bad drew, hit, yeah, but drove the him guy, into the ground. you know, Followed um, through, landed on top of him, and uh, yeah, I mean, you get three hundred plus pounds landing on your collarbone. It's probably gonna break. <laughs> yeah, it's no fun. Um, but he did have some nice throws. I mean, you think about the throw to Goolsby early in the game. Yeah, that was good. Um, and then you know Felipe, it's kind of more of the same from him uh, in terms of all right, you, we see some nice deep ball throws. Um, yeah. and then some other positives, even in the intermediate game, hitting, hitting Tyree on that, uh, it was Tyree's last catch. It was the play he got hurt again on and ultimately came out. Right. I mean, Felipe kind of read the route well, timed it, threw it on a rope for Tyree running, I think kind of just like a a button hook or a stop route going down the sideline. Yeah. Really showed off the arm strength, but then, you know, there's, there's the lows with Felipe of, um, he does like that, see, that long pass that he hit to Cleveland, and then you know it's first and goal in the in the red zone. I think it was right before half actually, and he follows that up with a pass that should have been picked. You know, right? That's that's kind of yeah, but that's the, what you're going to get with him, and that's you know I feel yeah, like we the, have to accept that as fans when you got a redshirt freshman as your starting. You do, quarterback. and you got to be willing to grow with him. And now we don't really have a choice. But yeah, like yeah. you said, it's it's a couple great passes, and then throw into the mix. You know that that passed to seemingly no one that miraculously gets tipped and caught by, <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it was Freddie Swain. It was. Um, and then um, there's also, you know, it seems like he the offense moves a little slower when he's in the game. They don't get to the line as fast, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, but, you know, the, the, like you said, redshirt freshman, he's going to have to continue to learn and continue to grow. And now with Del Rio out, um, 
we don't really have any other choice. I think the, yeah, you know, Malik Zaire obviously isn't the answer. He's not someone that we'll turn to to replace Felipe as a starter. He's somebody who will, will you know, be used in a backup role along with possibly Jake Allen. Um, but I, I think they would go to yeah. Malik first in order to not burn it, uh, Jake Allen's red shirt. But um, yeah, I mean, I think if God forbid. Franks goes down too. You know that's why you brought in Malik is so that we can bring Jake Allen along at his own pace. Because if you don't put a redshirt on Jake Allen, then next year you have a redshirt sophomore in Felipe Franks, a true sophomore in Jake Allen, and a freshman in Matt Corral. And you know there's not enough room for all three of them right. that close to each other. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I think that. You know, that's kind of why you bring in Malik Zaire is McElwain has known, you know, this is his, uh, what, third, fourth season in now? No, third season. Sorry. Third season, he's lost his starter third at season, some point every time. He's lost, his, he's lost his starter every time. So he knows you need depth at the QB position, especially in the SEC with how physical of a league it is. And it it shows, you know, three games into the season. Here we are. We're, we're having to go to our starter slash backup you know, yeah. or co-starter maybe if you want to if you want to call it right our second but, starter um yeah our second starter but it, i'm glad that we brought zaire in you know i'm sure he's not happy being a backup but you gotta kind of know next man up it's that that quick yep. it can happen exactly so, so um yeah that's kind of the overall takeaway is is you know you hope that it's more good than bad um and obviously now we have to continue to grow with Felipe and just be willing to to kind of go on that roller coaster ride with him. And like I said, hopefully, yep. hopefully the lows um, become less frequent and less extreme. And you you kind of yeah. look to the overall signs of life and progress, improved performance of the line, a running game that it seems like we'll be able to rely right. on. Um, and mm-hmm. you, you hope that that can kind of carry us as Felipe continues to develop. Yeah. Definitely, you know, for me, I'm kind of glad that I'm not glad Del Rio got hurt, obviously, because he's been a great Gator. He's going to make a great coach, I bet, you know, down the road. Obviously, that's kind of his path after college, probably, I would imagine. Um, You know, and and you hate to see a guy get hurt. But at the same time, it's nice that we'll just have to go with Felipe and and kind of just get him the experience. And he's not going to have to look over his shoulder um, because, you know, I understand Max's position where, he kind of has to win too. So, you know, do you give your redshirt freshman a longer leash and, you know, he's going to make some mistakes that may cost you a game when you have an experienced veteran like Del Rio that can come in and you know, he's probably not going to make many mistakes that are going to cost us games. So from a standpoint of looking to the future, I'm kind of glad that it's Felipe's team and, you know, we're just going to have to to roll with him. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but some other great things about the game and some other concerning things for me, at least um, like, like you mentioned, love max kind of gutsiness in the game. We went two for three on fourth down conversions. Um, and there were two, two pretty big conversions too. I believe the first one was P Ryan in the first half. Right. I want to say. Um, and then obviously the, the second one at the end led to the Malik Davis touchdown. Um, but probably the stat that I'm most impressed with, especially given all of the offensive woes we've had in the past is red zone uh, efficiency. We went three yep. for three in the red zone, which, you know, that's what you have to do in the SEC. If you get in the red zone, you've got to put points yeah. on the board. So really happy to see see that. Um, not as happy with the third down conversion. We went three for 13. So, you know, we, we got to tighten that up because – extending drives especially with how depleted our defense is is from a depth perspective um is going to be really important because we don't really have the the bodies especially at linebacker to not be converting on third downs and extending drives and and keeping our defense on the sidelines for you know good portions of the game yeah and especially as we you know move into the tougher portions of our schedule. I mean, it's not looking like LSU might be quote unquote tough, but you look ahead to 
Texas A&M to Georgia yeah. to, um, you know, Florida State down the line. I mean, we'll, we'll see State. where they end up in terms of how good of a team they are this year. But just a- athletically and especially on defense, they're, they're probably going to be better than most of what we've faced. Um, you're not going to be yeah. able to get away with punting as frequently as we've punted um, with, with not right. extending drives and getting valuable time of possession getting your defense off the field yep. and creating more opportunities for your offense to score points. Um, yeah. So it's great that we can, we can get some fourth downs when we really need them, but um, you'd like to see us getting moving the sticks on, uh, on second and third a lot more often. Yep, exactly. So speaking of moving the sticks, you want to you want to give yourself a pat on the back for the uh, running back renaissance you predicted I do. preseason. I do. I do. I would everyone. like to give myself a pat <laughs> on the back for that. Thank you. Um, yeah. So we we ran a blog in the preseason called you know the the running back renaissance is a running back renaissance afoot in Gainesville and it was basically just based on a, a look at the depth chart. Um, this was obviously pre Jordan Scarlett suspension. Um, if you guys haven't, if you know, you can go onto the blog, wearetheboyspodcast.com, go to the blog page and just scroll down so you find that, that post. But, um, you know, it was with the, you know, looking at how Scarlett had performed last year, he was truly a, a feature back in terms of if he had gotten the kind of carry numbers that a feature back should have gotten, he easily would have been a thousand yard rusher. Um, and then looking at, you know, P. Ryan as a really solid backup, um, and then looking at the two freshmen that we had brought in in terms of Malik Davis and Darius Lemons, and not knowing much about them other than that, you know, people were really high on them that they were both kind of explosive runners, um, home run threats, so to speak. It just seemed like we had too much, you know. And then there's Mark Thompson, who going into the season we didn't know what to expect. I'll say that he's probably performed better than I had hoped for. I, I still don't think he's in, he's anywhere near yeah. the um you know the level of potential that we thought he had when we first signed him out of JUCO, but it just seemed like when when the guy who's you know in Mark Thompson who's you know built like a, a prototypical Bama running back, um, for him to for him to yeah. be kind of lower on your depth chart that obviously has to have, you know, some some positive connotation to it in terms of the talent that you're working with. So it was just you know a thinking, a feeling that this could be a year where the Gator rushing attack kind of really comes back into its own and, and harkens back to some of the glory days of Gator football where we had great running backs, you know, the Emmett Smiths and the Fred Taylors of the world, um, the Eric Retts. Yeah. Um, you know, it had been a while because under the, under the Urban Meyer um, regime, you know, we had a great rushing attack, but it was not the more traditional method of getting a really great running back and feeding him the ball. It was using Percy Harvin. Yeah, it was more like a Tony. Um, it was just uh, it was yeah. a spread rushing attack, and so thousand yard rushers in in Gator football, um, you know, lore had had been fewer and more far between, um, even through. Yeah, I think we had the gap between what it was face on to Gillisley yeah, was the first yeah, one. Yeah, I believe that's Faison, correct, right? and that was that was a long gap. It was, uh, you know, around yeah. a decade or more. I'd say it specifically in the blog, but um, it was a long time. And then you know we get the promise from Will Muschamp that you know that's the kind of br- the brand of football he's bringing that that's going to be how things are, mm-hmm. and you know he actually never delivered on it again. Um, and then. No, Gil- Gillisley was... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Champ, was right? after that one, he said... He basically told us uh, to get okay, used right, to right, it because right. that's how it's going to be around here. Okay, and then yeah, he never right. delivered okay, gotcha, another gotcha. one. And then, uh, you know, under Mac, Kelvin Taylor went for 1,000 yards, but um, it was 1,000 yards. You know, it took him through the bowl game to get 1,000 yards. So he was kind of the, the next best thing. Um, and so... You hope that with the depth we're developing there, with some of the recruits that we've got, you know, on the horizon in um, in Damon Pierce and uh, Iverson Clement, I believe is the other one. It it seems like we're gonna be, that the cupboard is gonna be really well stocked at that position, and you know, presuming that the line can continue to progress, you know, if if we're getting these kinds of performances out of out of Lamichael Pirine and more specifically out of Malik Davis, um, you know, at where the line is definitely not where we want it to ultimately be. I can only imagine 
what those guys would be able to produce with, you know, a really stout line in front of them. So, yeah, I'll, I'll give myself a little pat on the back, and it does seem like, um, you know, you hope that we can keep this going because this Gator offense has been able to lean on the rushing attack in the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. And I think if we can continue to do that, continue to develop that, it's only going to help a young quarterback in Felipe Franks to take some of the pressure off, open up the play action, and, and give him uh, an easier job in terms of being productive in the passing game. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think, you know, anyone that has a little bit of knowledge about football will tell you when you have a young quarterback, um, if you can help him with the running game, it opens up a lot more in the passing game. Um, So it was really promising to see, especially given the performance of the offensive line over the first uh, three games up until that point, you know, it didn't look like we were really going to be able to kind of impose our will and and run the ball. Um, We tried to, but it it just didn't work out. You know, people knew it was coming. They load the box. We're not getting uh, any, any breaks for long runs or anything like that. So it was definitely a promising step. Um, My expectations are a bit, you know, tempered because it is Vandy. Uh, So, you know, I I think we got a, a good test coming up here against LSU and, and, I think that we kind of just have to take it like that, uh, you know, one game at a time this season because we have the talent, I think, to beat everyone on our schedule, but we also could lose to everyone on our schedule. You know, I don't think there's, you know, we sit at the beginning of the of the year and you're looking at the, the schedule and you're like, okay, this is a guaranteed win. This is going to be a close game, you know, and I would, I would think we were all looking going Kentucky and Vandy, those are guaranteed wins. And, you know, we barely won the Kentucky game. It took, you know, a second half miracle and, and changing quarterbacks to win that one. And then, you know, we, we beat Vandy by two scores, but really it, it was a one score game for pretty much the entire game. So I, I don't think there are any gimmies outside of what we got UAB, I think before FSU. Yeah. Yeah. UAB <laughs> before FSU. And then, I mean, maybe, maybe some people would consider Missouri a gimme, but at the end of the day, it's an SEC game. It's a division game. It's yeah. Um, I, I, I uh, hesitate to call any game, in the SEC and particularly in the division, a gimme. Yeah, I agree. Um, but some um, kind of one more thing I want to touch on before we get into high five, low five, no fives. Um, well, actually, I can kind of get into it in my no five. And it's, it has to do with Tony and how awesome yeah. of a playmaker he is. Um, but I think we're not u- utilizing him great. But I'll touch on that in my, in my no five. Okay. Uh, it might give you guys a little preview as to who I'm going for with a no five, but okay. Well, why don't you go <laughs> ahead and take it away and go first then on the high five, low five, no five. All right. Um, so for my high five, I mean, obviously, there's kind of two choices to choose from here. Um, I'm going to go with Malik Davis because I like explosive running backs, and I just, you know, I talked a lot about him last podcast, and I just think he has such great vision when he's running the ball. Um, uh, to give you his his stat lines for the the game against Vandy. He had 17 attempts for 124 yards, um, giving him an average of seven yards a carry. So, I mean, that's what you want to see uh, as far as a stat line from a running back, you know, and, and banged it home for two touchdowns. So um, we said after, what, the Tennessee game that he needs to be the number one running back on the depth chart, and – They've definitely rewarded him with more carries and more carries, so I think we got a really good one-two punch now with him and, and P. Ryan. Um, kind of like what we were thinking we had with Scarlett and P. Ryan. So, yep. um, you know, it, it, it's kind of cliched in football to say next man up when a guy goes down, but I, I would say the running back position this season has been really the epitome of that saying where – we lose our starting running back, a guy we th- both of you and I thought were going to go for a thousand yards this season. Um, and you know it doesn't really seem like we're missing a beat at that position. So yeah, really encouraging. And, and as much as see that. as much as we might um, critique the coaching staff in the remainder of this podcast, you've got to give them credit for the job of recruiting Malik Davis because, um, by all accounts, they were in on him early much earlier than any other major program and that's a a big reason why he's a gator now um they they sought him out found him when he wasn't very highly um regarded you know he's kind of in that three-star range 
Um, right, high three yeah, star. Yeah, and they stuck with him, and they really believed in his ability, and he ultimately earned that fourth star and became a little more high profile and then came in and had a great camp. And, you know, he's a true freshman who is is running running like a first-string running back in the SEC and, and bringing a level of explosiveness that we've kind of been lacking, um, even with Jordan Scarlett. I, you know, I don't know that Jordan Scarlett was the deep, the deep uh, or the home run threat that Malik Davis is. I, I think your point about vision and his ability to to get more yards than he should. Um, yeah, Scarlett did, Scarlett did that a little bit with Scarlett kept his legs know, he, moving. He, you know, like yeah, he rarely went down at yeah. first contact, but I, I I don't think he had the same um, vision and the same cutback ability that that uh, Malik Davis yeah, has shown. Yeah, I I agree completely. Um, for my low five, I'm I'm gonna hit a guy on the defensive side that, you know, maybe at first glance, you know, we only had one sack in the game. So you would say, oh, we didn't really get great pressure on the quarterback with one sack. But, uh, I mean, Sherrod had five QB hurries. It seemed like he was at least affecting throws. He affected uh, a couple throws that were on third down that, you know, maybe would have been completed had he not been in the backfield kind of harassing Shermer there. So, um, you know, it's great that he's finally healthy. He's another guy that's been kind of plagued with injuries throughout his career. Um, but he's showing that when healthy, he's definitely a force to be reckoned with uh, as a pass rusher. So um, definitely yep. want to give him a low five because it's a long time coming for him. Um, yeah, and, he, and he's a guy who is one of the, if not the most um, seasoned of the, of the D linemen that are kind of left yep. after, you know, the losses that we had to the draft. And so... Having him out there, I think, you know, a lot of the problems we've talked about with the D-line in terms of, you know, assignment football and, mm-hmm. and um, Keeping maintaining an edge and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, he he brings a little bit more of that. And I think when he's on the field, you know, you know you'd like, even if he's not necessarily helping the other guys do it, you know that there's at least one guy out there who's doing his job. And hopefully yep. that's kind of rubbing off on the rest of the D-line. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, he's just got a great motor, too on him um you know he had one play where he was like bull rushing the guy with one arm getting his hand up you know with the other arm so uh good to see uh especially since it wasn't necessarily our best defensive performance against vandy um but you know it's it's a young defense and he's kind of the the leader there so good to see him have a a good game um and then for my no five i'm going with coach mack for a multitude of reasons um first being i don't understand his clock management strategy. I at this point I don't know if there is even actually a clock management <laughs> strategy, or if he knows that. Like, is he not aware of situations on the field? So, first issue I have with with the game from a coaching standpoint is, Vandy's driving down the field. You know, getting close to halftime, um, and, you know, we stop him on third down. Great. Clock's running. It was third and 20. I believe they completed like an 11-yard pass. So it's fourth and nine. So they're lining up for a field goal. Clock's ticking down. Clock's ticking down. We have three timeouts, mind you. Um, we don't use it. Vandy lets the clock run down all the way to one second, calls their timeout. Um, so there's 43 seconds on the clock. We get a penalty. Kick moves closer. They make it. Okay. I kind of see what Max going there you know what he's going for there with that mindset like you know what we just our starter got hurt we have a freshman like let's just get the ball back we'll go into the locker room down three points at half okay fine they proceed to kick off and we start throwing the ball after after we so i'm like okay so if the plan wasn't to run the clock out why did we not use the timeout after they completed the third and nine to give us you know a, a minute and 30 instead of 43 seconds right you know don't understand why in the world you, you know, why is that even the, the game plan? I don't, unless they weren't expecting Franks to complete that pass to Cleveland for so many yards. But, you know, we have Eddie Pinheiro, who you say you trust from, let's say, 65 yards out. You know, they say he can make it from 70, but let's say in a game, you know, 60, 65 is going to be the top of what you're going to try at the end of half when it doesn't matter because you're not giving the team the ball back. Um, you know, I just I just don't get not using a timeout there. Is he saving him? Does he think he can use him against Bama in the SEC championship? And he's got all these timeouts saved up now that he hasn't used. I don't, I just don't get it. Um, so, it's it's kind of kind of mind boggling at this point. So wait, I'm a little confused, and I might be calling you out here. 
What what scenario okay. you're describing? Because we went into halftime tied, right? Right. So so Vandy's last possession of the first half, when they kicked a field goal to go ahead, seventeen fourteen. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because we got okay. the ball back with over with about forty three seconds. So, I got gotcha. you. Right. We got the ball back with forty three seconds. But why not use your timeout after the completion on third down to make it fourth and whatever? You know they're kicking the field goal. Why not use the timeout, stop the clock? Have time for when they kick possibly it off. a touchdown if they, drive. If they make right. the field goal, right. If they make the field goal, we have a lot of time to get in the field goal range ready. Or if they miss, now you got a short field with a minute and 30, you know, or a minute right. and 20. And, with three and really the only reason we end up in, in field goal range there is because of the, the chunk play to the deep ball to Cleveland. And then I believe right. it was at that same drive where we had the lucky tipped ball. No, that was, that was in the in second the half. Second okay, half. but yeah, it's, yep. um, yeah, you're right. That it comes back to me now. I was trying to, as you were going, I was a little confused. But yeah, it's, you know, they go up 17 14. And like you said, we're getting the ball with 43 seconds back. I think in that moment, you're thinking yeah. it's very unlikely that we're going to even get points. We obviously, we get right. lucky with a deep ball to put us into field goal range. Eddie makes a nice kick. Um, but right. yeah, we could have had the ball back, like you said, with, you know, over a minute on the clock, still with two timeouts, possibly the ability to, yeah. to get down and punch one in or even just be closer for yeah. a, a more high percentage field goal. And I get not using your timeout if the plan was whether or not they make a field goal here, we're taking this to halftime. Right. You know, but that clearly wasn't the case because then they come out and throw uh, a long pass yeah, play. Yeah. So- as their first play out out of that, so it's like okay, so we were trying to get right. To you were planning score, to so answer, why so why not have left? another forty five to fifty seconds exactly. on the clock? Okay, yeah, I got you. Exactly. So, you know, it's just a little questionable there. Um, another issue I have, and and this is kind of the meat of my beef with Mac, is you know why only four touches for Tony at this point? Um, I've done, I've run some numbers that we'll go over quickly with you guys. Uh, between Mark Thompson and Kadarius Tony, So Thompson's getting around eight touches a game. Tony's getting around five touches a game. Um, but Tony's averaging around uh, 11 yards, 12 yards a touch, whereas Thompson's only averaging around five. Now, I get that Mark Thompson does some things that Tony can't do uh, as far as like mm-hmm. a lead blocker and those types of situations, but those don't count as touches for Mark Thompson. I'm fine with Mark Thompson being in the game for those types of plays, but... Why are we not flipping the touches with these guys and giving Tony Mark Thompson's touches and Thompson Tony's touches? Um, you know, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but to me, it seems pretty obvious that that's kind of what should be happening. Yeah, I just, I, I think, I mean, I don't really have a problem with the the touch count for Mark Thompson. It is, it's, uh, you know, I don't think you need to reduce his touch count but i do think you need to increase Kadarius tony's touch count and you know obviously i get that if he gets more touches somebody else has to get less um but you know you also look at kind of our our run pass percentage and and maybe there's some room there to get him more touches on screens that kind of thing quick quick slants that get the ball in his hands quickly and kind of work like runs even though they might not necessarily be runs but i also think you know and and i don't know if is it limited because there's only so many plays that they've installed for the Wildcat package um, in terms of they're, they're trying to bring him right. along well, slowly. But if you have this Wildcat package, and like you said, the touches for Tony are are going for productive, significant yardage every time, it seems like an easy way to get the ball in his hands more is even if you only add you know, one or two more looks yeah, out of two, the Wildcat, you can – you can rinse and repeat yeah. with the same four or five looks um, and increase his touch count and give him the opportunity to, to contribute that much more. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, some of this contingent on, you know, what is the exact, um, you know, game flow. You know, maybe there are plays where, you know, the bad snap to Felipe is supposed to go to Tony and stuff like that. There's stuff that happens in the course of the game that can affect touches i just think you know we need to be conscious of getting him more yeah. touches um and then my last point and I'll, I'll kick it over to you is you know i just don't agree with instructing a running back to take a knee if he has daylight ahead of him you know i understand statistically you know you go from a 99.8 percent chance of of winning to maybe a 99.2 percent chance of winning by punching it in there and giving bandy some time 
uh, to try and get two scores, but you know, we've been starved for offense. We need we needed that extra. Yeah, touchdown. my take on that is, um, I'm McElwain's analysis is sound. It's it's the logic is sound. Mm-hmm. I'm not taking issue with that, and so that's what rubbed me the wrong way a little bit was there were certain people who were trying to knock the logic and. That's ignorant right. to me because it, it does make sense. If if you get the first down, Vandy has no timeouts. You can kneel the ball three times, and they never get the ball back. And statistically, the odds of something going wrong on a kneel down are slim to none. Um, so I get it, but at the same time, I'm fully on board with you take the points there for, for so many different reasons. Number one, a true freshman yeah. running back who is sent out there to convert a fourth down the last thing I want to put in his head is this secondary thought of, okay, I need to get the first down, but then I need to figure out how to not score. It's, no, man, yeah. you get the ball, you hit the hole as hard as you possibly can, and you don't stop running until somebody stops you. Um, number yep. two is uh, there's optics to be considered. This is college football. Um, at, the end, at the end of the day, right. some, at some point, if you're good enough, your fate is determined by um, some kind of committee, um, even just your, your yeah. placement in the polls, which some people may think is meaningless, but I think it's important you know, for a variety of reasons, is determined based on optics. Um, so a mm-hmm. 38-21 win, or a, sorry, a 38-24 win looks much better than a 31-24 win where people say, wow, Florida only beat Vandy by a touchdown. Um, and yeah, you right. know, the, the other is fans want to see that touchdown. You know, we, we want to beat Vandy mm-hmm. by more than a touchdown for the first time in a while. Um, we want Malik. Yeah. Plus you got to beat the spread. <laughs> right. We, yeah. That's the last thing. Good teams win. Great teams right. cover. <laughs> um, but we, you know, and how, you know, are you going to take that away from Malik Davis? Like let yeah. the kid, let the kid score his touchdown. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I have no issue with the, the logic, but I just think. I think um, it might be a little bit of analysis by paralysis, or sorry, paralysis by analysis, where, you know, I think there are times where you need to just be okay with, okay, even if the statistics tell me one thing, there's kind of this gut feeling of it just feels wrong to tell somebody to not score a touchdown there. So punch it in, get your points, trust your defense, trust your special teams to not to not allow themselves to become, you know, the bad side of a miracle. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, you know, one last thing I want to touch on with Tony is, you know, I think maybe the the cleanest way to increase his touch count, like we said, going back to the Wildcat, is we've used the Wildcat so far very um, intermittently. It seems like it's one snap out of the Wildcat and then back in comes, mm-hmm. you know, whether it was Luke Del Rio or Felipe Franks, you know, now it'll be Felipe, obviously. But, um, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, an entire series or even, you know, a significant portion of a series where we commit to the Wildcat for three, four plays in a row. Yeah. And and basically tell the other team stop us, right? And yeah, then like if they're it. if they're stopping us and it's not working, you know, then we go back to our more traditional look and we have our passing thread in there. But um, you know, I, I've seen you know that seems historically in the past teams that do run the wildcat. That's typically more how they use it. Is you bring it in and you you let it develop and get some of its own rhythm and pacing. And so I think that would be a good way to you know you take you take his his touches per look basically so you run the wildcat and the way we're running it now okay tony gets one touch and then it's back to our traditional set yeah get let him get three or four and then if it gets dry then okay we go back to what we were doing and we try to try to exploit that wildcat look later in the game yep um so to go into my high five low five no five um the high five you know i don't really think i have a choice other than to to give it to the other you know, the second head of the two-headed monster that, <laughs> that came to life against Vandy. Yeah. Um, LaMichael Pirine, stat line isn't the most overwhelming. Um, his average was under four yards, but, I mean, almost right at it, 3.9 yards. 15 carries for 58 yards. Again, not as flashy, not as explosive as Malik Davis, but maybe that's the beauty of their combination is, um, you know, Malik's your home run hitter and LaMichael's just kind of a reliable um, 
guy who can hit the hole hard. He's a little bigger, a little stronger, and, right. and move a pile forward. He's not going to bust it for a touchdown, but he'll move the pile forward. He'll get you your, your third and shorts, your fourth and shorts, um, and then you know punch it in on the goal line to, for the touchdown. Um, three touchdowns on the day. There, there's no way that he can't be mentioned in the high five. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Yeah, yeah, just we were, great to see. If we were you doing know, college fantasy. On, you'd you'd uh, be very yeah, happy with that. Yeah, stat yeah line. that's <laughs> that's your boy right there. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I saw it on Feinbaum, and this is a stat that we touched on where we went. Did we go eight consecutive games without a touchdown by a running back? A the rushing last touchdown? rushing touchdown by a running back that we had before this weekend was Georgia of last year. So. I don't know how many games that's been. Well, but it, well, I, we got one in the we got him in the Kentucky. But not game no, too. it's from Tony. Tony got the so he's technically not a running back. Okay, yeah, Tony got one yeah. and Brandon Powell got yeah. one. I got you. So yeah, I mean Powell started as a running back, but yeah, it had been since Georgia last year that a running back had actually scored a touchdown for us. So we got five of them okay. uh, in this we got game. Got five. So. That's a good. That's a good way to get off the Schneid. And then, yeah, you know we have seven rushing touchdowns in the past two games after not having any. Yeah. Um, for a long time so i mean it's good it's good to see a resurgence of the run game and you hope you see it continue so high five to Lamichael pirine low five this is one of my favorite low fives that i've ever done thus far <laughs> in the history of the we are the boys podcast oh man my man moral stevens oh uh, he did have a good right? he did have a solid game finally from he's tight probably ends. he's probably probably was the third tight end on the depth chart mm-hmm. um maybe even fourth back when kamori gamble was healthy but yeah Third or fourth on the depth chart, no longer, my friend. Um, yeah, yeah. Two what? catches for I want to say fifty something yards. Uh, two yeah. or two catches for forty five yards, but an average of twenty two and a half per catch. I mean, that's yeah, that's you know, that's explosive that's plays. good enough for government work for sure. <laughs> um, and he had some catches against um, Tennessee or Kentucky as well. Let me let me see if I can pull up his stats for the year. Uh, let's see, let's see. Yeah, so 2017, yeah, he had a catch, a 10-yard reception against Kentucky, uh, or sorry, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the exact context, but I, I think it was a fairly significant catch. I don't know if it was to move the sticks on third down or something like that, um, but because I remember each instance this year of me being in the stands and being fired up about Moral Stevens making a reception. Right. <laughs> um, so he's at three receptions on the year for 55 yards. Uh, last year he only caught one ball for 14 yards. So And his long this year is of 29. So um, he's doing more for me than Siante Lewis or DeAndre Goolsby at this point in the season. Yeah, um, from a catch, catching standpoint, for he, sure. He might, he might be less of an exciting athlete than either of those two, and maybe that's why he's been a little further down the depth chart. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we'll see We'll see what happens with him. He might be finding himself, you know, on the receiving end of more targets if he continues to produce and continues to get open. Yep. Um, you know, I hope that he's solid in the, in the blocking game as well because maybe that's what's been limiting his ability to get on the field. Right. Um, but, you know, we'll see. So low five to Moral Stevens. We hope to see more of that because I think being able to add in any kind of consistent production from our tight ends, even if it's not the most explosive of production, um, would it's a nice safety blanket for Felipe, and it just mm-hmm. serves to open up more of the offense. And then my no five, uh, it's going to the Gator secondary, and I'm not sure yeah, that's just... where to specifically <laughs> place the blame. Is Every, it Corey everywhere. Bell? Is it Randy Shannon? I would say I would say um, not not the cornerbacks. It's not right? the corners. Not the corners. It's not yeah. CJ Henderson and it's not Marco Wilson yeah, who CJ Henderson that his really nice pass breakup um was right in front of me. Uh that was great to see because the safety help was there late and that was Chauncey on that play. Yeah. And I think that's a little bit of where my ire is directed is at is at both safeties, um, in Chauncey and Nick Washington. I I know you know, apparently Nick Washington is not playing at 100 percent, yeah, um, health wise. But and Chauncey's playing out of position, right? And so, um, but at the end of the day, we're not getting. I mean, our safeties have been anything but in terms of if you, yeah. if you think about the, <laughs> the, the meaning of the name safety, is yeah. they're supposed to be your last line of defense. They're supposed to be the guy who, okay, he, you know, they might complete the pass, but the safety is going to make sure it's not for a touchdown. The safety is going to be your sure tackler if anybody yeah. gets into the second level of the defense, and they're really not providing either of those services right now. Yeah, I um, mean, when our, I was at UF, we had Reggie fucking Nelson 
as people like to call them. And the saying was, you know, the earth is what, 80% covered by water. The rest is covered by Reggie fucking Nelson. So that's, that's kind of the, the standard at Florida and and what you're asked to be doing at safety because we've had a bunch of great ones come through. So yeah. Yeah. And even in recent years, I mean, you, Marcel Harris, leading tackler on the team last yeah. year, a really surefire tackler. Right. Keanu. Uh, Mark, Marcus May is a great player who's now in the league. Keanu Neal is a great player who's now in the league. Yeah. Um, and there's there's more that, you know, I'm, I'm omitting. Amon Black. Um, yeah. I'd be remiss um, to mention him. It's We're just not getting the kind of safe. Our safeties are not as safe as they need to be in terms of guys who who keep the cap on things, keep the lid on things. Um, teams are going to get completions. They're going to get runs in the second level of the defense, but you need your safety to be a guy who can can make the tackle in the open field, um, can get over there in time on safety help to where, okay, the guy might catch the ball, but we're going to be there immediately to get him out of bounds or to at least you know make it a challenging catch. So mm-hmm. I don't know what the answer is. I know I've seen Brad Stewart getting more snaps. Um, yeah. Maybe we see a little more of Sean Davis. I don't know. Um, I, and I don't know if Randy Shannon needs to be playing more nickel um, to, to get better pass coverage, more pass coverage guys on the field. I really don't know what it is. I know people say Randy Shannon is a pretty vanilla defensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, we're, we're not getting as many blitzes as we got under Collins, and maybe nope. that's putting our DBs in a bad spot because we're not pressuring the quarterback enough. But um, there were just, I mean, three touchdowns given up to Vandy um, and every time it seemed like guys were kind of in the area but just not making plays um, and again it, it wasn't the corner for the most part it was the safety so yeah. you'd like to see that get cleaned up because um, you know we don't want to allow teams to throw all over us we've already got teams on our schedule like Georgia um, even like LSU depending on you know how things go with Darius Geis and all that who right. seems like they're go- they're going to be able to run the ball Um if teams yeah, are, are then able to pass on us too, it, it becomes a real problem. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So that wraps up my high five, low five, no five. With that, let's go ahead and look ahead to LSU, and then we'll wrap it up and get you guys out of here. Yeah. So I mean, homecoming in the swamp, uh, big game. Um, you know, maybe not as big as we would like it, since LSU just lost to Troy at home in their homecoming, but. At the end of the day, it's Florida versus LSU. You know, it doesn't matter if teams, both teams are ranked, one team's ranked, one's not, both are unranked. Like this game is probably one of the most bitter rivalries in the SEC, um, especially because they're cross-divisional rivals that play each other every year. And I think both schools are kind of salty about that because if you think of the draws some of the other schools get for their cross-divisional rivals, you know, um, I, I would say that this is the hardest yearly cross-divisional rival um, yeah. by far in the SEC. Except for Tennessee, who has to play Bama every year. Right. But, but yeah, that's pretty lopsided. That's pretty lopsided. This this is definitely the most even, the most competitive, um, and it's the most fun, too. You know, both schools have had great DBs the last, you know, decade, it seems. Um, so that you got the whole DBU argument that gets thrown around every time we play. Um, and then, obviously, last year, the, the goal line stand was incredible. Um, you know, we talked about it in earlier podcasts. It was one of the great Gator moments. Um, and they're going to come to play, you know, they want to, they want to beat us in our house, just like we did to them last year. So it's going to be a fun one for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean the, the bad, bad time to be an LSU tiger just continues. I, I think it maybe is, is greater than a year now where we're almost at a full calendar year of, and it really all goes back to that that leave a gate that whole thing. It seems like there's just a bad juju around that athletic department now. And you know, I don't want yep. to call for anybody's job, but I'll, I won't be surprised if Joe Oliva isn't the AD around there anymore because, you know, yeah. And it's a new. I mean, it's one thing that they kept getting beat by Florida and things. You know, I think that's you can you can defend that we're we're an elite athletic department you know you think about mm-hmm. baseball you think about basketball you think about football um track you paid troy a lot of money to come to baton rouge for homecoming <laughs> yeah and your coach and with a 17 a million dollar buyout who how the hell that yeah. happened i don't know but you paid them yeah. a lot of money to come in and just embarrass you um and, and you know 
not embarrass you in the sense that they they ran you out of the building. I mean, it ended up being a one possession game, but it was Troy. Yeah, man. It was seventeen to nothing. Yeah, for it a was while, Troy. Um, they came in on homecoming and beat you. You know, it'd be one thing for you know if it was Florida coming in for homecoming for you to get that W, but for it to be Troy, um, you know, so. Yeah. Who knows what LSU team we're going to get? Is it is it a team that's just right. mentally defeated after that, who doesn't believe in their coach? Um, or yeah. are we going to get a team that's fighting for their life? That's kind of yeah. the, the question we got to wrestle with. So let's do let's do our shirtless Spurrier, Spike and Spurrier uh, bit, and then we'll have one more note, and then we'll go ahead and do our predictions and wrap it up. So uh, how are you feeling today, Keenan? Are you feeling mm. shirtless? Or are you I'm, feeling, I'm like, feeling shirtless, surprisingly. Um, yeah. All right. All right, take it away. Well, or you want? Well, maybe I'll go first. We'll do bad news, good yeah, news. Yeah, yeah, bad news first always. Um, so spiking is is really going to be based on uh, a few things. One is with the note that I just touched on is this is an LSU team who just got absolutely embarrassed, um, and mm. you know they're a team who last year you look at kind of how they responded to the adversity of, uh, you know, losing less miles, Ed Orgeron coming in. It seemed like there was kind of, a, you know, a rallying around Coach O, a belief in Coach O. Yeah. Um, will we get that again? Uh, you know, that would kind of be my worry is, you know, this yeah. kind of critical juncture in their season, people calling for their coach's job. You know, maybe this is a rallying point for them, something that kind of galvanizes them and brings out a really good effort on the road, on a big stage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and they've obviously had revenge on their mind all year, and that's partially why yeah. perhaps they made some decisions personnel-wise that led to their loss against Troy in terms of keeping guys out was they were thinking yeah. about that goal line stand and wanting to come into Florida and return the favor. So um, they're not going to be as shorthanded as they were. They're going to be all hands on deck and we're not going to be all hands on deck because those suspended guys aren't coming back. Who knows what's going on with Tyree Cleveland's ankle. If he can't go, that immediately takes away our, our our one true deep ball threat. Um, And then, you know, we're back to Felipe. So who knows? It's, there's a lot of questions on our end and LSU is still LSU at the end of the day in terms of athleticism. Um, And so, you know, it's not going to be the same team we saw against Troy. It's going to be a different team coming into a different setting and so uh, that's what's got me uneasy is will this Gators team have enough answers to uh, to hold off an LSU team that, you know, whatever their record says, whatever that result was last week, this is going to be an extremely athletic team, a team that challenges us on a lot of fronts and is going to test, you know, our abilities in the trenches. It's going to test our abilities on offense of, you know, whether we can be multidimensional and then, you know, Danny Etling isn't, um, you know, a Heisman Trophy candidate, but he is a guy who is is serviceable at quarterback, and they're going to have some athletes on the perimeter. So yeah. if these secondary challenges keep up, we could be in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point there, um, I, I mean, regardless of what LSU's record is, they're the 67th ranked offense in the country and the 23rd ranked defense. So outside of Michigan, this is the best defense uh, that we're going to play this year. Um, so, you know, they're better than Vandy's defense. Um, and like you said, they, regardless of their record, they have the athletes, you know, Vandy didn't have the athletes. Kentucky didn't have the athletes. Um, even Tennessee, you know, they've been recruiting pretty well over the last few years, but LSU is on another level talent wise. Um, so it's, it's going to be a dogfight if they come in and they're wanting to get a win for Coach O. So that's definitely a good spike and spur your take. Now, why you're wrong is, is as shirtless Spurrier would say, you know, there's no more quarterback carousel anymore. They're going to let Felipe just throw the dang shoot. ball. All right? Just throw Shoot. Shoot. He got he got arm. He can throw it sixty seven yards, no problem. So let's throw it down field. Shoot, throw it. Let's fun and gun. Let's just fun and gun. We'll tear the goalpost down. Come on, everybody. Come on, just tear it down. So, you know that's that's my take is Felipe looked better against Vanderbilt than he did against Kentucky, and you know with a young guy, every game you're just going to get better. Um, I think we're seeing that, and I. You know, it's kind of like I said, as much as I, I don't want 
anyone to get hurt. I think it's a good thing for the development of Felipe Franks that Luke Del Rio is no longer there for Mac to hit the panic button and say, uh-oh, things aren't really going our way. I don't know if Felipe can do this. I trust uh, Luke Del Rio more to kind of finish this game out. Mac doesn't really have a choice now. You know, if things aren't going great, Felipe is going to have to be the one to turn it around, which, um, you know, I think is going to be good in the long run. And, you know, LSU is not beating us in the swamp without the Mad Hatter. <laughs> that's, uh, that's my shirtless Spurrier take. You know, we're not going to see fake field goals and fake punts. Um, and I think, I think that brings us into our next thing of note is Gators aren't losing when I'm coming all the way across the country. With my beautiful girlfriend, the prodigal to son returns bring her to the swamp for the first time. So, <laughs> the prodigal son returns. I was trying to think if the Gators have even ever lost when I've been in the swamp for a game. Maybe during the Zook years, I'm pretty sure I was never there for a Meyer loss in the swamp because um, we didn't really have that. There many. weren't too many of them. Yeah, there yeah. weren't too many. Um, so, it's going to be a good time in Gainesville. Yeah. What do we got on deck? Yeah, I mean if. It- if anybody's got the uh, the championship juju rubbed off on them from kind of the golden years of, of Gainesville sports, you've got it. So yeah, bring that on back. We'll take whatever we can get. Um, but yeah, so for the listeners, as you know, you know, in case this is your first episode or whatever, or just a quick refresher, we are two of the boys of Old Florida. Hence the title of this podcast. We're brothers. We're both alumni uh, alumni of the university. Um, and Keenan was here during the, the you know the most recent glory years of Gator football. So he's been away since was twenty twelve your last game? Yeah, Missouri twenty twelve I think. Yeah, Missouri twenty twelve. So he yeah. hasn't he has you have not attended a game during the McElwain era. Is that correct? Correct. All right. So it'll be his first game, first time back in the swamp in a very very long time. Um, uh, so yeah, we're we're excited. We're the boys are both going to be in the swamp. And uh, not just in the swamp, but we're going to be out and about in Gainesville, um, kind of tearing it up and, and making up for lost time and both yep. getting ready, getting ready on Friday night for a big W come Saturday. And then we'll be right. celebrating the big W come Saturday night. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a special weekend for a multitude of reasons, not just you coming to town. But as you as you noted earlier today, we're going to have to do our best to pay tribute to, to Gainesville's um, you know, most beloved son, Mr. Tom Petty. Oh, yeah. Um, there's going to be some, some karaoke, some bar singing. There's going to be some American girl being belted on the jukebox and uh, getting the whole the whole bar involved. Maybe go down to the piano bar downtown and get a live rendition. Um, yeah. Maybe a little I won't back down. Uh, sing it in the face mm-hmm. of some LSU fan who made the mistake of showing up for this weekend. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's going to be a good weekend. You know, no matter what maybe said about the matchup not being what we expect like you said it's lsu florida i'm not i don't really care about last week it's lsu florida it's homecoming um the yep. goal line stand still looms large alleviate still looms large and um i don't think the gators are ready to give up their their death grip on lsu that we've developed over the last year or so in terms of just having their number every time we step on any field of competition so We'll be cheers yeah. into that. We'll be cheers into that at the Rowdy Reptile, maybe at the Swamp Restaurant, maybe at the Social. Um, maybe we even head downtown. Maybe we're at the Salty Dog Saloon back at mid. You know, We'll be bouncing all over the place having a good yeah. time. So if you're out and about and you right. see uh, two brothers uh, who are you know, seven years apart in age, uh, one tall and good looking, the other less tall and, uh, you know, Maybe a little more fun, <laughs> L.A. Yeah, looking. Maybe wearing white jeans. <laughs> who knows? Come find us. We'll yeah. uh, we'll do a shot. We'll we'll toast to Tom Petty and we'll toast to the Gators, and it'll uh, it'll be a party. Yeah. So uh, prediction. It. Hit me with what you got. What are you gonna see when you show up here on the screen? Uh, I mean, it's it's gonna be a low scoring game, right? These ones always are with LSU. Um, I'm going. 21-17 okay, so uh, in, in Gainesville, the Gators pull it out. So you think we're in for a nail-biter? I think we're in. Yeah, I think it's going to be close. You know, I mean, These games always are. Yeah, it's the uh, question. And they, have, they, and they have been all season long, so there's, there's no point in changing now. Yeah, I mean, whether you want, if you're expecting the Gators to win by 
you know, a comfortable amount. I think that's assuming that there's going to have to be progress made on the defensive side of the ball. Um, yeah. I'm trying to decide how confident I feel about that. I do feel like the offense is going to be able to produce, though. I mean, Troy was able to put up 24 on LSU. I think with the weapons mm-hmm. we have, with the, the, the development of the running game, um, it'd be awesome if Tyree Cleveland is healthy. But if not, hopefully somebody's able to step up, like Josh Hammond, Freddie Swain. Hopefully we're able to get creative with how we use Tony, maybe find a tight end or two. Um, yeah, and our 69th ranked uh, defense. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe they show up a little yeah, bit. Giggity. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give the offense a little more optimism. I'm gonna say that we get into the 30s again. Um, okay. I'm gonna go 31 to 21. Good guys. Gators win by more than one possession in the swamp on homecoming, and uh, we eat LSU's lunch once again, and we keep that thing going for as long as possible. Perfect. All right, well, with that. Can't wait. Yeah, can't wait to have you in town. It's going to be fun. If any of you are coming to town, I know this is a popular weekend um, for people who yep. you know maybe do one, one game at a year. Us. Yeah, shoot us a tweet. Let us know what you're doing. Let us know. Uh, Slide into our yeah, DMs. what bars you're at. We'll come do a shot, and um, – We'll all enjoy a big W in the swamp on Saturday. As always, we are the boys. We say go Gators, beat LSU, and we'll see you all in Gainesville. Go Gators.